think our message is the title is Thirst from John chapter 19 verses 28 to 29. John chapter 19 verses 28 to 29. Benjamin Franklin once said, When the well's dry, we know the worth of water. And that can be applied to so many things, right? To so many areas of life that can be expanded. But certainly it is true with water, which is one of the most precious resources in our planet. Essential for all living things, even more than toilet paper, believe it or not. It's common knowledge that the the human body is comprised of 65% water. It's in the blood, the tissues, the organs. Every day the human body generally loses about one and a half litres through urination and through sweating. So that goes about one and a half litres. And uh, then, of course, it's important to to drink just so that you're able to maintain your your level of of energy and uh, the more exercise you do according to the weather, whether it's it's humid, whether it's hot, uh, obviously the more physical exertion that you display, the more water you're going to lose. They say that uh, I think the the Formula One drivers, I think they lose about four or five litres in just about an hour, hour and a half of of, of driving. So some professions definitely go through the water. Now, somebody, somebody who was obviously going to, was on the very limit of physical exertion was Jesus. Jesus seems to have taken no liquids from the time of the Last Supper with the, the, the apostles in the, in the upper room. And since then, he, he, he went, he walked down to the, to, the, to the Garden of Gethsemane. He was arrested, then was repeatedly questioned before the Jewish and the Roman authorities. He suffered the scourging. He walked to Golgotha for some of the time carrying his own cross and had been hanging there for hours while bleeding. If that is not physical exertion, I don't know what is. So perhaps for some, in in the the context of Jesus' words, he spoke seven statements, seven words from the cross. This, for some people, this would seem probably the least spiritual, the less significant of all. But there's actually more than meets the eye here. The three hours of darkness had just passed. There were three hours of darkness and Jesus is nearing death. This is, this is the end. John, the apostle, was there witnessing all this with the women. 
And this is what he says. I'll read those verses again. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop and put it up to his mouth. Now in our series in John we have mentioned many times that the Gospel of John has many layers. You can read the Gospel in one layer, you scrape under that and there's another layer and then you go deeper and deeper and deeper. Now, in order to understand it better, you have to start digging and looking some of the common themes, some of the, the details that he mentions. And it is worth noting that in, that, in, that in the whole of the Gospel of John, the words water, drink and thirst actually appear quite frequently. They are themes that are threaded throughout the Gospel. And, and in this gospel, Jesus presents himself as the, the spiritual source, the fountain of living water that never runs out. Yet here, the well is running dry. Physically, there is nothing more that he can give. And when the soldier gave him the sour wine, it was on a hyssop, on a hyssop reed that they, they, they put on a sponge and brought it up to him. Now, some people think that this, is, this was mistranslated because a hyssop reed is only a stalk, like a, like a strong grass that grows on the edge of the, of the rivers. And it was probably only two, two feet long, so how can they reach uh, the mouth of Jesus if he's only not that long? And so the thing is that the, you need to understand that the crosses, I know that in the paintings and in the, in the, in the movies and stuff, the, the, the cross of Jesus is towering up like 10 or 15 feet up in the air. In reality, the, the, the cross was actually just a couple of feet above the ground. So all the soldier had to do was bring it up to his mouth. But there's something more here again. When we go back to the very first Passover, it was the, the, the hyssop branches that were supposed to be used to put the blood of the Passover lamb on the doorposts. And, and, and I've, I've mentioned this at the start of our series that the Gospel of John is in, in, in some way actually looks back to the exodus from, from leaving Egypt to traveling through. So there, there is that background of the exodus of people leaving slavery to freedom. That is a backdrop in the whole of the Gospel of John, that he taps in these themes throughout it. And so here he relates it, he brings it back to the hyssop, that that was the, the, the liberating theme was... The blood of the lamb over the doorpost. So as the angel of death passed over, everybody in that household would be protected. No doubt John had this background, I think, when he 
mentions the word. It was this blood over, there's this, the blood of the Passover as the angel passed over and, and I think it was Don Carson, I saw him do a talk on this and he said, uh, what if you have two Israelites there in the desert, in, in Egypt and uh, they're sort of given these instructions and they're saying, well, Joe, what do you reckon? This whole thing about uh, killing a lamb, blood on the doorpost, I'm just going to do it because, you know, I, everybody else is doing it. And uh, I, I just don't understand all this stuff too seriously. Think about it. These people were, were living pagan lives for, for much of it and suddenly Moses turns up and says, we're going to go, guys. It's time to go. And then Joe, who has a stronger face, says, brother, just do it. This is the instruction. You just have to do it. This is so when the angel of death comes... This is what's going to happen. So the, that night, both of them have the, the, the covering, the, 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 the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, so the one with little faith and the one with greater faith, guess who was covered? And Don Carson makes a point, both of them. The one with great faith and the one with little faith, Right? because they were both covered by the, the blood of the lamb, the doorpost. Isn't that a powerful statement? It doesn't depend on our faith, you see, great or small. Because I think if we were to measure our faith with others, I'd say, well, it's just a little, it's even smaller than a mustard seed, really. But even that God will use to do something great. And yes, Golgotha now. From the land of Egypt to Golgotha, where the blood of Christ save us from sin, to cover us. So how are we to look at this word from Jesus? First of all, it was physical. It's such a, a simple, short statement, isn't it? Uh, how, many times, how many times have you said that during your life? Uh, kids will often come and say, I am thirsty. Uh, a common natural condition of the human body. If you fail to hydrate your body uh, the way you should, it can cause you to obviously suffer dehydration, will pass out. And eventually your organs will begin to shut down. The only other time when Jesus was thirsty was in John chapter 4 with the woman at the well. So he asked her for a drink. And we are, we are made aware of Jesus' thirst to show us that he, he really did experience a real and physical humanity. This was no play acting on the cross, a, a divine being merely pretending to undergo f- a, a physical act of torture that could not touch him, that he was somehow removed from all of that suffering. No, this was physical suffering. 
thirst is one of those conditions that is actually quite... The more you thirst, the more desperate you become and that actually drives you even more. On a practical level, Jesus also asked for something to drink because of what he was about to say, his final declarations from the cross that we're going to look at next week. He had to strengthen himself, ease his throat so that he could cry out his final words with a loud voice. If your mouth is dry, you can't even actually talk. Everything is so dry, your, your tongue is actually swollen up and you have, there's no way to actually even verbalise what you're trying to say. But there was another reason John actually shared this physical nature. When John was writing his gospel, around about 100 AD, a certain heresy, a certain tendency had arisen in religious and philosophical thoughts. It's called Gnosticism. And this Gnosticism, this idea, different ideas, different heresies had a tendency to infiltrate the church, even as they do now. It started way back then. So this was infiltrating the church. And one of the weird teachings was that God, who was pure spirit, could never take upon himself a body, they said. Because that was matter, and matter is evil. God will never do that, they said. They therefore taught that Jesus never really had a real body. He just looked like one. And they went on to argue that God could never really suffer. And that therefore Jesus never really suffered, but went through the whole experience of the cross without any real pain. It's like he was, I don't know, playing a remote video game in some way. What rubbish, right? What rubbish. This is why in 1 John, in his letter, this is what he would actually write. The Apostle John, he said in in 1 John chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come In the flesh, in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist. That's why the emphasis on the flesh, the suffering, the physical. Now, while the problem of pain and suffering is perhaps one of the most perplexing of all questions which confront us, The real difficulty, I think, when you're going through it is not in the reality of pain in this fallen world, but in the apparent absence in so many instances of why, of, of, of any discernible purpose in the pain. What is the purpose in this? Why am I going through this? Why is my loved one going through this? I can't understand it. You can't see the purpose. That's what hurts, I think, even more than the physical pain. It's a bit like the the soldier. It's like like the soldier in the trenches 
let's put yourself in the, in the First World War, right? And one soldier in the midst of the mud and the cold and the, the rats and everything in those trenches, after two or three years there, the conversation is, why are we fighting again? Can you just tell me why are we doing this? Right? You've seen the war movies. That's the type of, you're trying to get some purpose in the midst of all that suffering and pain and destruction. However, Jesus didn't have to wonder why he was suffering in pain. He knew. If anybody knew, it was Jesus. It was the Father, the Holy Spirit. For Jesus, the pain and torture that he went through, he went through it for love, for you and me in glory to the Father, in obedience to the Father. He knew the purpose even before the creation of the world. Even before it all came into being, he knew it. So that's how Jesus' suffering and pain is different from ours. But it does show us that even in our mates, even when we don't understand why we're going through what we're going through, and in times like this, it's important to remember this that we hand over whatever we're going through to the greater purpose because God knows. And that's where faith comes in and says, God, I don't know, but you know. That'll, I think that will help us. It'll, it'll strengthen us. Because unlike the pagans, at least we know, we know why. We understand a little bit more. And we need to help one another as brothers and sisters in, in, in that. Remind each other. So why? Um, why did, did John focus on the thirst or why did he mention the thirst? Well, to fulfil prophecy. Despite the agony and pain, it is worth noting the, the, the majestic calmness of his word. The other Gospels tell us that the prisoners who were either side of him, that were yelling and cursing as they suffered. They were swearing their brains off. Yet Jesus spoke deliberately with dignity, restraint, full of purpose. And this is, this is what John tells us. This is after these things, knowing that all things had now been accomplished, had been fulfilled, that the it had come to be, he said, he said, he didn't cry, he said, I thirst. Now every step of the way God shows us through the fulfilment of scripture that his son was indeed the Messiah through prophecy. David's words, we're just going to look at quickly at, at a couple, about three of the Psalms, some of the quotes. Is it in, obviously they describe the sum of Christ. And one of those descriptions was the thirst of Christ when David said, 
uh, in verse 15, my strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. This is when your glands have stopped producing saliva, your tongue swells up, fills the cavity inside, nothing is coming out. You might have spent time in hospital with a loved one, you visited a loved one who's just undergone surgery or whatever it is and there's instructions there, uh, no liquids. So there is a bit of ice on the side and you can just wet their lips. You, you might have been there. At least to relieve some of the, the, the lips so they're drying up, they're cracking up. It's a horrible feeling, it's a horrible feeling. In the, in the very heading of another psalm, Psalm 63, David wrote this psalm when, and, and, he, and he, the very heading, the very title, you know how sometimes the psalms gives you a description of the situation where David was at when he wrote the psalm. Well, in, in this particular psalm, it says, when he was in the desert of Judah, he was in a desert, he was in a dry place. And with that background, he starts his psalm in verse 1 and he says, you, God, are my God, Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. I might be thirsting for water. I might be thirsting for so many other things. But I thirst for you above all else. My whole being longs for you. Where? In a dry and parched land where there is no water. See the connection between the physical and the spiritual. Even, even way above his physical needs at that time. And there are some dry places in, in, in Israel. I've been there. There's nothing there. But his desperation was more than water. It was for God. He didn't despair. Despite the desperate situation, he didn't despair because he hoped in God. I earnestly Seek you, thirst for you. And then in Psalm 69 verse 21, David says, They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. So the sour wine is, is, is virtually, it's, it's wine that has gone off. That's what vinegar is, right? And the greatest thing to me is that even at this, at, at his point of greatest pain and suffering, Christ was making sure that every prophecy about him was going to be fulfilled. All these psalms begin with the suffering of David, but they, they are fulfilled maybe partially in David, but they are certainly fulfilled in Christ, totally in Christ. Jesus poured out his blood, his sweat, his tears, until there was nothing more to give. The, the sponge was dry, nothing else. Squeezed out of every last inch of fluid. And that is why John makes the prophetic connection for us. Of course, in this day and age, people continue to question and even mock the suggestion that Jesus Jesus Christ was the Son of God. Max Lucado in his book 
he chose the nails, he wrote this, he says, Why in his final moments was Jesus determined to fulfil prophecy? Why? Because he knew we would doubt. He knew we would question. And since he did not want our humans to keep his love from our hearts, he used his final moments to offer proof that he was the Messiah. End of quote. 332 distinct prophecies in the Old Testament. 332 fulfilled in Christ. Different men, hundreds of years apart, before Christ ever came into the world, yet totally fulfilled in Christ. Nothing less than the Son of God. Why thirst? Well, it has a spiritual dimension, obviously. It was a spiritual thirst. Uh, Now, spiritual thirst is a metaphor throughout the Scriptures. It means it it stands for something else. For many, of course, in our world, they try and satisfy that thirst with other things. Of course, the, the famous song from the the Rolling Stones, I can't get no satisfaction because I've tried and I've tried and I've tried, said Mick Jagger. And people sing it like a chorus, like a national anthem, right? They salute the lack of satisfaction in everything they tried. It's almost like they celebrate it. Why? Well, it's actually quite sad, really, when you think about it. Nothing you've tried, nothing you've done ever satisfies because you have not gone thirst to the proper source. And, but when we thirst for God, he will satisfy us. And, and, and as he satisfies us, he actually gives us a deeper thirst for himself. And let me explain that. It, well, I don't know about you, but uh, have you ever had ice cream in a place like you've never had it before? And you're saying, wow, I wish I had that ice cream again. You've had it, you were satisfied when you had it, and then forever, forever length of time, I said, nah, this is just not the same. And yet you, want, you, you keep, and, and then when you have it, it's like, oh wow, that's it. That's the taste, that's the place, that's it. You know the flavour, you know the time, you know the place, and it's like, well, I just want that. And every time you go to, the, to that same place, I don't know whether it's New Zealand ice cream or whatever it is, they say, no, that's the one I want. Well, God is... A gazillion times better than ice cream, I can tell you that. And the very fact that he satisfies us says, I want more of that. And you want more and more. More of Jesus would I know, right? The hymn says. You want more. And when we're exercising our faith, 
We want to be close to him and receive his strength because we know that without his strength we cannot do it. And, and, and this thirst for God actually increases even more when we see the sinfulness of the world around us. Because it actually... But wow, look at this place. And he said, it's actually, but I have the fountain of life within, in this dry and weary land. And this thirst for God actually, actually increases when we are not just aware of the sinfulness around us, but we are actually aware of the sinfulness within. I say, why am I even forgiven? I don't deserve this. You're right, you don't. And neither do I. It just makes you thirst for him even more. This is why the psalmist cried out, Psalm 42 verse 1, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you. O God, when can I go and meet with God? You see? In John chapter 4, we've, we've dealt with that passage in our series. I'm sure you remember it well. One time ago now. Jesus meets a Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. She, she was definitely someone who sought satisfaction in many ways. Been married a few times and divorced a few times and now not even married anymore with the guy that she was with. And likely even an outcast with her own people. And yet, Jesus meets her at the well. Jesus asks her to draw water from the well for him. And then he says in verse 10, If you knew who you were talking to, if you just knew, if you just understood, (laughs) I don't know, woman, we don't know her name. Um, woman, if you just put yourself in history of redemption and just understand how significant this conversation actually is and, and what I can give you, that nothing in this world would ever satisfy, could actually give you. If, you. if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask of me and I would give you living water and you will never thirst again. the source, the fountain, the spring. And likewise in John chapter 7, Jesus said to the multitudes in Jerusalem, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and let the one who believes in me drink. And and it's precisely with John chapter 4, John chapter 7, this is the backdrop, I believe, where John wants us to read the words from the cross, I thirst. The source of living water is now thirsty as he dies on a cross. The source of life, the source of grace, of hope, of love, of living water is drying up as he became sin for you and me. but only for a little while. You see, Jesus 
did it for us. And just like God made the human body to have sufficient water or liquids to function properly, He also made our soul in such a way that it needs to have that connection with God. If we are separated from God, when we are separated from God, our soul has a thirst, an empty spot that you can try and fill and suppress in many different ways, but you know, you know, you know the source. Those who have walked away from God those who grew up in a Christian home and now are walking far away from me, they know the source. But they're forever trying. No, I can't go back there. But they know the source. And remember, if you were ever tempted to walk away because the world seems so much more beautiful than what it is, don't. Don't be tempted. You know the source. No matter what we do, nothing can take away that emptiness. Nothing could ever fill us except, except Christ. What else? See, there's, there's more than just a couple of words. I thirst, right? What else? It's also to give us a description of judgment. While being forsaken by the Father, Jesus suffered the consequence of sin for us. He suffered it. And, and, and the consequence of sin is, is hell, it's death, eternal death, eternal hell. Now, scholars have argued over the words of the Apostles' Creed, which was a very uh, early document, and we actually sing it, um, that Jesus descended into darkness or Jesus descended into hell for us. We won't go into the discussion, but at least say that on the cross he experienced hell for us so that we wouldn't have to. He experiences so that we wouldn't have to. For all the images that we have of of hell, hell is a place of thirst. It's not only hot, it's thirsty. In Luke 16, our Lord told about a man who died and, and woke up in torment. In torment, he, this rich man, he begged for someone to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this flame. That's Luke 16:24. People are in hell today crying out, I am thirsty. Hell, you see, is a place of eternal thirst with no possible satisfaction. There's no possible way to calm that thirst. And those who are condemned to suffer there for eternity will forever thirst, not only physically, but emotionally, spiritual. And this is why God continues to do all at his disposal to, to draw us to himself. This is why he died on the cross. This is why he gave his life for you and me, so that we wouldn't have to go there. 
The moment you diminish the, the suffering in hell, you diminish the sacrifice and love of Christ. You start thinking, oh, hell's not such a bad place after all. That's where all my mates are. No, 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 no. No love, absolutely, nothing. With all the things that are happening around us, is the world listening? Is the world listening? Are we listening? Are the Christians listening? Of all the people, we should be the ones that are listening. So this, we've got to do some words from Amos. He's, God is speaking through Amos in Amos chapter 4, verses 7 to 10. Just listen. He, it's a whole chapter. I'm just going to give you a brief. I also withheld rain from you. Hmm. I wonder when God did that. Recently. When the harvest was still three months away, I sent rain on one town but withheld it from another. One field had rain, another had none and dried up. People staggered from town to town for water but did not get enough to, to drink. But sadly, yet you have not returned to me, declared the Lord. It goes on, verse 9. Many times I struck your gardens and vineyards, destroying them with blight and mildew. Locusts devoured your fig and olive trees, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. And verse 10, I sent plagues among you, as I did in Egypt. Plagues? What is that? That's pestilence, disease, virus, bacteria. I sent plagues among you as I did to Egypt. I killed your young men with the sword along with your captured horses. I filled your your nostrils with the stench of your camps, yet, yet, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. And this is to his people. He's not even addressing this to the pagans out there. This is to his own people. What, what, is, what is God saying to us through... Israel Falau got in trouble for, for reminding people of this. What is, what is God saying to us through drought and through earthquakes and through storms and floods and disease and pestilence? What is he saying to us? Return to me. Return to me. As the loudspeakers are on, is anybody listening? Return to me. Return to me. Lastly, why did he say I thirst? It's to give us an opportunity to serve. To give us an opportunity to serve. Okay, Paul, you're going off the rails here. Now let me join some dots for you. Even though perhaps the, the, the Roman soldier didn't think too much of it, of what he was doing at that particular time, what he did was actually an extraordinary act as he, in a, in a small way, but significant, he, he relieved the sufferings of Christ. 
okay, fine, Paul, but what has that got to do with me? We can also follow the example of this soldier when we do simple acts for people and as simple as they are, God can turn them into something extraordinary. Okay, Paul, I'm following you. Where are you getting this? Well, Matthew chapter 25, verses 37 to 40. This is Jesus' words. I can't do better than this. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you ill or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, we know who the king is, right? Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. You did it for me. Jesus' body is hanging on the cross. This is also called the body of Christ, the body of believers, right? The body of Christ. We each have an opportunity for service. Jesus has taught us to identify his people with himself, his body. And and even though it might not appear so, Jesus takes these acts of service that we do for each other, he takes them, or we don't do it for each other, he takes them personally. For some it might be a cup of cold water. For some others it might be going and do the shopping because they can't get out of the home. At other times it might be helping in a practical way. And there are myriad of ways we do this. And still other times we're called to alleviate some, some form of, of suffering. If you love him, and we should, if we love him, we have to look for an opportunity to serve him, right? It shouldn't be difficult. This is natural. So somebody might say to you after you've helped them, right? Somebody will say to you, Thanks for doing this for me, by the way. And an honest, but perhaps harsh response might be, I didn't do it for you. I did it for Jesus, because you're an idiot. (laughs) Now, sometimes it helps to be, not be that honest, right? Not be that forthright. And just keep it there. That's okay, brother. I did it for Jesus. What I'm saying is you don't even have to like the person that you're doing it for. But you do have to like Jesus. Mind you, you're the one losing out if you don't like the person because we are called to love one another, right? With his love. Just read the the letters of John. If you say you love Jesus and you don't love your brother, then there's something wrong right there. 
The question is not, do you thirst? Because we're all, all of mankind has a thirst for reality, for fulfillment, for satisfaction, for purpose, for meaning, for forgiveness, thirst for God. The real question is, how long are you going to go on thirsting for? Yes, you can continue as you do, as you are, and continue to thirst for eternity without being fulfilled. Or you can trust in Jesus. This is why the prophet Isaiah gave an invitation. Chapter 55, those famous words when he said, Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. Come to the waters. That note, praise God and may he continue to satisfy in every way possible. Amen.